you know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the one, the only, the original great, Rob Silva. Today, we will be talking about Jerron Boots and his virtuoso performance from Saturday night. We will discuss some questions that were um, given to me by uh, several followers of mine on Twitter. For any questions on the Q&A session of the podcast, please hashtag AskRobSilver. I will answer any questions that you have pertaining to boxing, life, relationships, baseball, football. If you want to get political, get political. I, I'm an open book. But if you really... um. Have some serious boxing questions. I have I have many today, and I will dive into that later on. We will also have my historical overview of my 19th greatest knockout in boxing history, and I will give my predictions on two major fights coming up this Saturday, Saturday the 15th, July 15th, both featuring fighters born in Detroit. Frank Martin and Alicia the Bomb Baumgartner. We'll talk all about that later on. But before I begin the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, once again I want to push, and I'm not going to push it too far, too much today, because in approximately five to seven days, you guys will get a free preview of the Patreon podcast I've been doing. On the life and times of Muhammad Ali I have been touting this um, Patreon pod, exclusive podcast That I've been doing Several listeners that have subscribed to the podcast Have come to me and, and DM me And text me and told me how they love this podcast How it's very informative Very educational Very enlightening And very entertaining What I try to do on anything I do Anything I write Anything I broadcast is to educate, entertain, and enlighten. And my Muhammad Ali uh, Life and Times tribute pod, uh, podcast, series of podcasts, is a 10-part series. Part 6 you will hear for free, and that is the single biggest fight in boxing history. His March 8, 1971 fight versus Joe Frazier. I will tell you what was going on in the world, what was going on in Ali's life through conversations that I had with my father from 1977 to when he passed away in 2000. My father spoke extensively about Muhammad Ali because Ali was his favorite fighter. My father idolized Muhammad Ali. He was the first fighter he ever idolized. Just like the first fighter I ever idolized was Thomas Hearns, Ali was the first fighter he idolized that he 
followed from the beginning of his career in 1960 until Ali fighting too 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 far past his prime in 1981. My father and I had, had several conversations, and he talked extensively about his fight, Ali's fight with Joe Frazier, the first one, March 8th, 1971, and. I will finish that podcast just like I do with every one of my Patreon podcasts with a play-by-play, a reenactment of the play-by-play. I give you the YouTube channel. I give you the timestamp. I ask you guys to mute your devices or your smart TVs, and you watch along as I call the play-by-play. So uh, you'll get that free preview next week, and then after you listen to that, you could decide for yourself whether or not Five dollars a month is worth the price of admission in order to hear my Muhammad Ali series. I also I also have the greatest knockouts in not the greatest knockouts, my bad. The the greatest upsets in boxing history, my ten part series I did last year. All of that is available on the Patreon exclusive podcast. The link is in the description of this podcast. Now on to Saturday night Ladies and gentlemen I've been touting this young man Since uh, 2019 I told everybody that, that was listening on my last Podcast before I did this podcast I used to do a, a, a Different podcast I'm not going to name The name of that podcast because that podcast No longer exists but I did That podcast for 11 years and four years ago, I said that these two fighters were going to be the next legendary fighters that were going to dominate the game. Four years ago, I predicted Shakur Stevenson and Jerron Boots Ennis. Jerron Boots Ennis Saturday night fought Roman Villa, and he gave Mr. Villa a one-sided beating. Jerron Boots Ennis is the real deal. I've been telling people this forever and a day. He will be the next great Philadelphia boxer. He will be the next great welterweight champion. The welterweight division, 147-pound division, is the most storied division in boxing history. Look at the greats that have been welterweight champion of the world. I'm only going to go back to the 1940s. I'm not going to go before that. Since 1947, Sugar Ray Robinson, Kid Gavilan, Carmen Basilio, Emil Griffith, what was it? Luis Rodriguez, Jose Napolis, Carlos Palomino, Wilfred Benitez, Sugar Ray Leonard, Pepino Cuevas, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hearns, Donald Curry, Marlon Stalling. We could keep going. Pernell Whitaker, Oscar De La Hoya, Ike Quarte. We could keep going. Sugar Shane Mosley, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, and when he finally becomes champion of the world at 147, you can guarantee that Jerron Boots Ennis will be added to that illustrious group of all-time great welterweight champions. No other division in the history of boxing has the star-studded 
all-time great list that I just mentioned, that I just read off the top of my head, right? <laughs> this is off the top of my head. So I'm, I know a few, I missed a few guys. I think I forgot to mention Miguel Cotto and, and others, you know. You know, I'm a 55-year-old man, all right? Sometimes I forget. But I said four years ago, Jerron Boutsenis was going to be the next legendary welterweight champion and the next legendary Philly fighter. And Saturday night against Roman Villa, he showed why. Um, Al Bernstein made a great point. By the way, Mar Ronaldo was fucking horrible. He doesn't know the difference between a hook and a cross. Another reason why you guys need to uh, subscribe to my Patreon um, exclusive podcast. And when you hear next week's preview, you'll see that I know the difference between a hook and a cross. Mara Ronaldo throughout the entire fight kept calling Jerron Ennis' straight right hand or straight left hand a hook. No, it's a cross, you stupid motherfucker. Al Bernstein was on the money. At the end of the fight, when he told Morrow and that clown Abner Maris that Jerron Ennis might be the most gifted offensive fighter he ever saw with the most weapons for an offensive fighter. And Al Bernstein might have a point there. I've always said that the greatest offensive fighter I've ever seen is Thomas Hearns. Thomas Hearns had every punch in the book the way the textbook drew it up. A spectacular left jab. Jerron Ennis has that. A right cross from hell. Jerron Ennis has that. Hooks to the body that will debilitate you. Jerron Ennis has that. Uppercuts that will lift you off your feet. Jerron Ennis has that. What might make, and, I'm, and you know, Thomas Hearns is my all-time favorite fighter. One of the greatest welterweights, one of the greatest fighters to ever live, period. He's in my top 10 all-time greatest fighters I've ever seen since 1947. What Jerron does better than Hearns, better than anybody, is that he is he does this better than Terrence Crawford, too. The way he fights orthodox, left jab, right cross, he fights the same exact way as a southpaw. Right jab, le- right jab, left cross. It's like he's looking in the mirror when he switches up. He perfects all the punches from either from whether he's orthodox or southpaw. His father has done a phenomenal job training him. Derek Ennis has molded his son, Jerron Boots Ennis, into a perfect offensive fighter. Jerron Boots Ennis has no flaws offensively. The only flaw I see so far is that he gets hit from time to time with unnecessary punches. But he has the skill set to be a great defensive fighter when need be, and he showed all of that Saturday night. But the best defense is an offense, and right now, other than the two men that are fighting each other on July 29th, there's nobody at 147 pounds that can fuck with Jerron Boots in this. Not Virgil, I'm always sick, Ortiz. Not Imanius, I can't go, I can't um, stop a cold, Stanionis. Not Keith, I'm washed up, but I was never that great Thurman. The 147, not Rashidi, overrated Ellis. Nobody at 147, not named, 
Terrence Crawford or but or or uh, Errol Spence can fuck with Jerron Boutinis, and hopefully he gets the winner of that fight because right now nobody other than them two can compete with Jerron Boutinis. He's the real deal. Now people are gonna say, oh, but OG. He hasn't beaten anybody. He hasn't had that opportunity. You got to get the opportunity. The opportunity's right around the corner. And when and if he fights the winner of Bud versus Spence, that will be another super fight worth watching. Because it will be the first time Jerron Boots Ennis gets tested. Saturday night, VL with his aggressive style with, with Taylor made. You cannot rush Jerron Boots Ennis because he sticks that jab up top. Then he jabs you to the body. And then he comes straight down with the cross. Whether it's a right jab, left cross, or it's a left jab, right cross combination, he blinds you like a Thomas Hearns used to do, like a Niowa monster, and no, he does. And he lays the boom. Sixth round. I predicted a six-round knockout. It almost happened in the sixth round, and it staggered him with a beautiful cross and batted him. Villa survived. Villa showed a lot of moxie, but he took a brutal beating. And finally, in the 10th round, Boots Ennis with a beautiful right uh, right jab, left cross, right hook combination. Villa went down. He's lucky that that final left cross missed or he'd be in the hospital right now, possibly in a coma. 10th round knockout for Boots Ennis, the most impressive win of his career against a tough fighter who had come off the biggest win of his career, beating Rashidi Ellis, and Rashidi Ellis is overrated. Rashidi Rashidi Ellis would get decimated by Jerron Boots Ennis. There's nobody at 147 other than Spencer and Crawford that's on Boots Ennis level. So, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Now I'm saying this and I'm going to say it over and over again until he's crowned champion. Jerron Boots Ennis will be the next great welterweight champion in the storied, storied, storied history of that division. And he will be the next great Philly fighter. And he has the potential. I, I'm saying potential because it's a long way from happening. There's been so many great Philly fighters. Jeff Chandler. Bernard Hopkins, Joe Frazier, Boots Ennis has the opportunity and he has the potential to be greater than all those Philadelphia fighters. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Now, on to my Q&A. Before I go into the Q&A session, I want to make predictions of the two big fights coming up this Saturday, both featuring fighters born in the great city of Detroit. First, Alicia Bob Gardner. Right now, outside of Clarissa Shields, Alicia is the hottest star in the world of female boxing. She has taken the boxing world by storm in the last year, winning an undisputed title. And now she is attempting to avenge the only loss of his, of her career as she's fighting Christina Lenardarto, Lenardarto, Christina Lenardarto. Alicia is a much better fighter than the, than the time she lost to Lena Darto. And I have Alicia winning a very convincing decision to continue her rise to stardom, her rise to becoming one of the greatest female boxers ever out of the state of Michigan and possibly of all time. Right now, in my opinion, she's the second best female boxer on the planet. Only one better than her is her uh, Michigan brethren Clarissa Shields Who in my opinion Is the greatest female boxer That has ever lived So I got Alicia winning By a comfortable Unanimous decision And then The Showtime main event Frank Martin Versus Autumn Haratunyan Haratunyan Oh man I'm having a hard time You see one thing about these um Horrible boxing announcers that you guys watch on the zone and Showtime and ESPN week after week. They know how to say these names. But they don't know how to fucking name the right punches that they're that you're watching, that they're calling. Man, get the fuck out of here. Anyway, uh Frank the Ghost Martin. I've been saying this for three years now, since 2020. I said Frank Martin was gonna be the next great Detroit born boxer. Um He's under the tutelage now of Derek James, probably the best trainer in boxing today. Frank Martin reminds me of a young Mark Two Sharp Johnson, where he's a softball with brilliant hand speed, throws combinations, gives you angles. That's what Mark Two Sharp Johnson used to do, and that's what Frank the Ghost Martin does. Very hard to hit, as he showed in his fight against Mitchell Rivera. He is a generational talent, in my opinion. And in my opinion, he's the only guy from the PBC side that Javante Davis should fight. No one else at PBC, 135 pounds, is going to even be a match for Javante Davis. The fight to make, if we're just sticking to be, if PBC is going to keep it in-house, we need a fight between Tank Davis and Ghost Martin yesterday. Ghost Martin will put on another virtuoso performance. Either he stops Haratanyan late or wins a lopsided decision as he continues his quest to get that fight with Javante Tank Davis. Okay, now on to the Q&A portion of the program. Let me... um... Let me get, uh, and you can ask my uh, any and all questions at hashtag ask Rob Silva. Hashtag ask Rob Silva. Okay. First and foremost, uh, my buddy Kobe Jackson from Tennessee, Detroit born, who's a huge uh, 
Frank, the Goose Martin fan, he asked me a question. He texted me a question a few days ago. Um, because uh, Boots and is fought at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, and Kobe asked how great of a venue it is to watch boxing there at the Boardwalk. Well, Kobe, it's an incredible venue to watch boxing. Every seat's a good seat. There's no, nothing. There's no such thing as a bad seat at the Boardwalk Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, for those who aren't old enough to remember, in the 1980s, Atlantic City was on par with Las Vegas when it came to hosting big fights. Um, Mike Tyson had some major fights in Atlantic City, including the fight that I uh, talked about last week, his first round knockout of Michael Spinks, June of 1988, to become the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Atlantic City had a lot of major fights. And that city has fallen on hard times. My understanding is that a lot of casinos have gone bankrupt in Atlantic City. And it's the main reason why the major fights no longer go there. Now it's Vegas or Dallas, Texas. In, in in the United States, it's Vegas first, probably Dallas, Texas second, and then New York with Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center in Brooklyn third as far as getting major fights in that order. Atlantic City used to be neck and neck with Vegas back in the 1980s up until the mid-90s, and then Vegas stormed ahead, and now Atlantic City is la- lagging way behind. But Kobe, Boardwalk Hall, is a tremendous place to watch boxing. And I hope one day Atlantic City makes a comeback and host more fights like the one we had this past Saturday when Jerron Boutsenis had his coming out party. Now, from the Steel Phantom Menace on Twitter, he asked, if you were advising Virgil Ortiz, would you tell him to retire? Oh, hell yeah. Virgil Ortiz needs to retire. He pulled out for the third time this past Saturday, just a few, like less than 48 hours before he was supposed to fight Imani Estanionis. Virgil Hill has some type of uh, physical ailment, and I don't think he'll ever be the same. You don't want to see him in the ring versus Boots Ennis versus Crawford versus Spence because his defense was already lacking before he got sick. Is he a great offensive fighter, action fighter? Yeah, but he's tailor-made for Errol Spence. He's tailor-made for Bud Crawford, and he will get put into the hospital by Boots Ennis. So, yeah, uh, Steel Phantom, I would definitely advise and retire. And um, thanks for the question, and I hope you continue to give us questions for the podcast. Now, Long-time contributor, LL School K, asked me, my favorite tag team in wrestling. My all-time favorite tag team in wrestling was Doom, the tag team of Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Rest in peace to Butch Reed, who died, was it early 2021? I believe it was early. We we were still in the midst of a pandemic. Um... Butch Reed and Hank Aaron, I believe, died a few weeks apart, maybe even a few days apart. Um, Axel Butch Reed was the first pro wrestler I idolized, and I love the Tag Team Doom. So, yeah, for those of you who've never seen the Tag Team Doom, go on YouTube, type in Doom versus Steiners, Doom versus Freebirds, Doom versus World Warriors, 
They had a lot of Doom versus Arn Anderson and Barry Windham. Doom versus Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. They had a lot of great matches back in 1990 amongst against all those great tag teams. Okay. Yo, this is Dre ask. Man, Jerron Ennis is so skilled. The question is, does he have the power to keep the top 147 guys from coming forward? Yes, he does. Dre, you you seen with your own eyes. Boots Ennis has every punch in the book. He's mastered every punch in the textbook from both sides of the plate, from orthodox and from softball. He could beat you a million ways. Phenomenal generational talent. Yes, he has the power. Roman Villa has an incredible chin, and Boots Ennis put him to sleep. Okay, next question. My brother Gritty and I went to I went uh, to the Wilder fight with Gritty. Gritty got me tickets to see Deontay Wilder's last fight last October. We were sitting next to each other. A great dude, another Detroit born born cat. I guess the uh, the theme of this show is Detroit. He he uh he wanted to know who y'all want to see Imani Stanionis choose as his next opponent. Well, it won't be Virgil Ortiz because I think he's done. Stick a fork in him. Stanionis, I want to see him fight Boots Ennis. That's the only guy I want to see Stanionis fight. And Boots Ennis will beat the hell out of Stanionis. Look, Stanionis, Virgil Ortiz. Forget it. None of those guys have a shot against Boots Ennis. Stanley Onis wants to keep fighting other dudes that he can beat like a Rashad, like a Rashidi Ellis, like a washed-up Keith Thurman. Go ahead. But for Stanley Onis to prove himself to be a very good welterweight, get in the ring with Boots Ennis and take that beating, and I could guarantee you Stanley Onis will never be the same after Boots puts the boots to his ass. All right. Stanion, let's talk about a one-dimensional fucking fighter. Are there any other questions here? I got, I did Steel Phantom, LL. And um, um, Kobe and Gritty. Uh, that's it. That's it for the uh, Ask Rob's uh, Silver portion of the podcast. Now on to my 19th greatest knockout in the history of boxing. Now, the following article that I wrote that I'm about to read that I wrote several years ago on FightGameMedia.com is a warning. It's a warning to people out there that they should not gamble. Gambling can affect families. Gambling can give the children of the gambler unnecessary anxiety. And this is something that I went through the weeks and the night of this fight I'm about to mention. Please, don't gamble. Look, I know I make predictions week in and week out, and I've had a few guys tell me that they made money off of my predictions. And my prediction run has been phenomenal. I think I've been wrong maybe two or three times in the last 18 months with my predictions. But please, just because I say something is going to happen, you guys are going to do whatever you want to do, but I don't advise gambling. Um, 
I got. I'm, I'm about to read a personal story involving my father gambling that gave me incredible anxiety, and should be a warning to those out there not to gamble. My 19th greatest knockout of all time occurred March 31st, 1980, Knoxville, Tennessee, at the Stokely Athletic Center. Mike Weaver, the challenger versus the WBA heavyweight champion, John Tate, March 31st, 1980. And as I wrote, coming into his first defense of his WBA heavyweight title, John Tate was on top of the world. He secured the title vacated by Muhammad Ali when he thoroughly defeated Jerry Kotze by 15-round decision in Kotze's homeland of South Africa, October of 79. Tate was a crowd-pleasing, aggressive heavyweight who combined punishing body punching with surprising speed for a 6'4", 230-pound-plus frame. Negotiations had already begun for Tate to defend against Ali in a comeback fight for the greatest. Standing in Tate's way for this huge payday was journeyman heavyweight Mike Weaver. Weaver was a 28-year-old Marine veteran of the Vietnam War who came into his fight with Tate with a very pedestrian 21-9 record. Weaver had shocked my father and myself the previous June by giving the WBC champion Larry Holmes hell before getting hit with an uppercut in the 11th round that almost knocked him completely out. Eventually, Holmes would finish Weaver off in the following round. Because of his great performance against Holmes, my father predicted Weaver would knock out Tate and wager three bets of $100 each. I begged my father not to make these bets as he was out of work and we were barely making it on his unemployment. I just knew my mother would have to go back on welfare after this latest debacle by my father. Just I expected, it was all Tate for the first 10 rounds. He attacked Weaver to the body and head at will. Weaver was practically a statue as he did little except for holding an occasional left jab. Tate had his hometown Knoxville fans on their feet as when each round ended, they exploded in applause and cheers. I was fighting back tears as I knew the lights and heat would soon be turned off in our apartment. My father was already completely intoxicated and screaming at our black and white television for Weaver to do something. At the beginning of the 11th round, my father took his drunk ass out the apartment and left me to watch this one-sided fight by myself. I was 11 years old at the time and despite my want, I didn't change the channel. Rounds 11 through 14, Saw Tate still dominating Weaver, but at a much slower pace and with less pop in his punches. After 14 rounds, I had Tate winning all but one round. My head was spinning and I was fiercely holding back tears. I just knew the kids in my Bronx neighborhood and school would be relentless and roasting me as everyone knew about my father's insane bets on the fight. Then came the unbelievable 15th round. Both men were physically spent going into the last round. Tate, knowing that he had the fight all but wrapped up, stayed close to Weaver while holding and trying to run the clock out. Weaver was landing but looked to have no snap on his punches. Then, with about a minute left in the fight, Weaver landed a short left hook that totally that totally froze Tate. Tate fell face. Tate fell face first. Ha! Tate fell face first like a tree being chopped down in the woods. I started jumping up and down while screaming tears of joy. Weaver collapsed in sheer joy as Tate laid motionless on the canvas. 
at that precise moment. My father walked in and saw both men laying on the canvas. He thought that they had knocked each other out. When I explained to him what really happened, we both started laughing loudly. My mom cursed us out as we woke up all three of our younger siblings as it was a school night. We made more noise in our small apartment than the Knoxville crowd who were in stunned belief. Tate's life and career spiraled out of control after this devastating, devastating knockout loss. He would once again get knocked out and concussed in his next fight three months later at the hands of Trevor Burbick. Tate battled cocaine and alcohol addiction and eventually became homeless before dying of a stroke at the age of 43 in 1998. It's a perfect example of how one fight can change someone's life. Weaver would hold the WBA title for over two and a half years before losing via controversial first round knockout to Michael Dokes. After settling for a draw and a rematch, Weaver became a gatekeeper of the heavyweight division before finally retiring in 2000 at the age of 48. As for Pop, he collected his $300 and gave it immediately to my mother as she threatened to throw him out if he didn't. Meanwhile, for the next few weeks, the kids in my neighborhood were roasted by me bragging about how my father won his impossible wages. Now, even though my father, through the grace of God, miraculously won $300 that night, it still, it still doesn't make it right for a man to put his children through such anxiety. Man, I was scared shitless. Weeks coming up to the fight and then watching that fight, I just knew we were going to be homeless. The irony is that was the beginning of a path that led John Tate to homelessness. Like I say on everything I've ever written or talked about in life, life always comes full circle. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this um, episode. Um, for any feedback, you can um, reach me at Twitter, Robert Silver 5768 at Robert Silver 5768 Also, ask Rob Silver. Next week, we will be recapping the Alicia Baumgartner and Frank Martin fights. I will be making my prediction of the Nioa Inoue Stephen Coolboy epic 122-pound encounter that will be happening the morning of July 25th in Tokyo, Japan. Until next week when we talk these great fights. And I will also have another greatest knockout in boxing history, my number 18, and more more uh, questions to be answered by me, by you guys, the listeners. So until next week when we we talk again i want everybody out there listening to the sound of my voice to continue to be blessed and being blessed and be a blessing and um that night my family especially my father was blessed talk to you guys soon <laughs>